Today I'm joined by Damien Fern, the co-founder of Tipster. Damien, thanks for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Damien Fern, the co-founder of Tipster. Damien, thanks for coming on. Hi, good. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Damien, take us through your start in betting and in some of your background that led you to what you're doing today. Okay. Well, to be honest, I, I was uh, quite late into the betting scene. Um, it wasn't until I kind of finished university um, that I moved from um, performance analysis in sport. So that's kind of where I initially was. Um, from so I worked in professional football for a few years. Um, learned all about the uses of data. In professional sport, which was uh, which was interesting, and then from there I kind of um, went into sports betting after getting a job for a trading house um, based in London, and they kind of opened my eyes massively into how that data that I was using in professional sport kind of translates into the betting world, um, and it was yeah a real eye, real eye opener, very interesting. Um, seeing how they utilised that information and how they kind of, yeah, just used it for, for, for sports betting, something that I was kind of wasn't privy to until I got to that stage. So take us back to your performance analysis work in, in sport. My, my degree was in sports, uh, sports performance and there was an opportunity to uh, work for a club as kind of an apprentice um, which was using, um, if it, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called ProZone. Okay. Um, which is kind of a, a, a video analysis tool that films the game, um, collates some of the data, and then you get to utilise that data, find trends, um, maybe the team's getting exposed down the, down the left wing or they can't hold the ball up up front, um, and you kind of can utilise that and then relay that back to the coaches and then directly to the players as well. Okay, interesting. So... Looking back now with all the experience you've had since then, how good are sports at using and utilizing data to help them with their performance? Are they as bad as probably the average person on the couch thinks they are when they're you know, throwing things at the screen, when they're, they're not doing optimal things? Or are they pretty comprehensive and advanced when it comes to utilizing those types of things? It's definitely um, on the up. I think that when I did it, which was kind of um, 2008, 2009, um, and then in 2010 as well, um, it was a bit naive. People were also very reluctant to to treat the data as relevant or as important. Um, so they'd quite frequently, especially the players themselves, some of the more old school players, they were reluctant to say, okay, this data could actually help me improve as a player. It was more, nah, I don't need this. I know what I'm doing. I'm the, I'm the professional footballer. 
like not you you can't this data isn't of no use to me um but i think that's changing a lot now especially kind of in the uh in the top tiers so we've got kind of some of the bigger clubs have got huge teams of like highly skilled people that can really provide that that edge every team is looking for that slight edge because it's it's so valuable to them so the difference between a Champions League spot and not a Champions League spot or getting promoted to the Premier League or not getting promoted promoted to the Premier League is millions so they they've seen the value in getting that that little tiny edge however small it is um, and that they're utilising that and utilising the performance analysis teams. What about from a betting perspective? Are there things that you learnt in that environment that were or are useful now? Because a lot of people talk about you don't even need to know the, the name of the players or the team. Uh, a lot of it's computerised and algorithmic. And then others rely heavily on that intimate knowledge of what's happening on the pitch or on the field. I think the thing that I've found is certain players kind of not being available it's less important than a lot of people will weight it obviously there are some very important players in some teams that are critical um to to the team's performance especially if they kind of focus their whole tactics around that player but if a right back is missing and the slightly weaker right back comes in it plays very little influence in the in the overall team performance is one thing that i've found so how did you switch over from your time there to working in betting houses and, and with syndicates? So so when I was, um, I think it was, the, it was the World Cup, the 2010 World Cup, and I was working at, at the ProZone um, head offices, um, providing some support because they were busy um, during the World Cup period. Um, and I got, uh, applied for a job kind of without really understanding what it was properly um, in London. And... I got a call back while I was in the offices there um, and I was kind of within, a f- I think within two weeks I started the job in London because they were trying to set up quickly. Um, and yeah, I, basically with my experience with the, it was the championship in League One that I was working in. Um, it was, the role was Premier League analyst. So it kind of just went from championship up to the Premier League. Um, and yeah, very quickly I was ch- chucked in the deep end there and I was rating all the players all the chances they created, um, and it kind of it kind of happened quickly. So from mid July, yeah, I was in there preparing for the for the twenty ten eleven season. Did they have a systematic task for you to analyze players or teams or whatever else you were doing, or was it you're the expert? You tell us. It was incredibly structured. So they had a set way of doing things, and it was stick stick to that way. Um, and basically, it feeds into their models. So it has to kind of it had to fit with what they what they did. It was it was really a big eye opener because the the structure and the accuracy and their methods was it was impressive. It re- it really was. So do you know what their their aim was? Were they trying to have an assess price on a team, or or were they you know what what type of things were they using using the data for ultimately? So it. it it's to get the prices, so the implied implied probability of all the different outcomes that you can get. But then a lot of what was done is kind of the in in play stuff. So they would know in theory um, when there's an increased chance of a team scoring um, based on the chances that they would typically create in a game, the chances that the other team would likely concede in the game, and then how likely they would then be to convert those type of chances. So it, was, it, it it did go in quite a lot, and there were a few games where 
we know they did well because it kept flagging another goal as a bet. And then there, I think there was one goal, one game that was, had 10 goals in and they kept expecting there to be another goal, another goal, another goal, which was, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was really, really fun and really interesting to kind of to be involved in it. Before you got there, did you th- think or did you have a good understanding of what to expect or were there a lot of things that surprised you throughout that process? I, mean, I guess the whole will there be another goal scored type thing, maybe there was things throughout that process that you weren't expecting. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. First, the, the biggest thing I didn't appreciate or understand when I, when I took the job is kind of the scale of their their ambition and kind of just the, the numbers that were involved so kind of I I never thought of betting much more than kind of 10 quid here 20 pound there um which is I suppose indicative of the, the vast majority of the UK market um that's kind of as far as betting goes for a lot of people um but then kind of seeing the other end of the, the scale it's it, it opened my eyes to the world of like professional sports betting basically something that I'd, I'd kind of almost didn't believe existed or maybe I'd not just given it much thought but but yeah were a lot of the things you were calculating intuitive and, and logical or were there some things we thought I don't know why they expect another goal here but the data is saying that and, and that's what's going to happen and ultimately that's what's going to be bet not really it was we didn't kind of get full access to the to the end the end product most of the time um, so the data that was going in um, was intuitive from our perspective so we had to give our own personal input so kind of how how good is this player how bad is that player um how good is this chance how bad is that chance but a lot of it was kind of predetermined so if it hit this criteria you would rate it this if it hit this criteria you would rate it that and that was kind of um quite structured quite organized and i think that kind of helped to their success is that they they knew what formula worked and then we kind of data data entry experts to an extent where we're, we're just analyzing what's happening and then putting that into the into the correct format for their for their model which was yeah complex above my uh above my head anyway so there's a lot of intrigue and, and mystery around some of these syndicates and is the confidentiality or does that make is it a fun lifestyle are you enjoying what you're doing and it's a fascinating experience or is it data entry and a lot of data science that goes into making sure the inputs and ultimately what the outputs are to the the person upstairs makes sense yeah it, it was it was definitely fun because it's the first time that i'd kind of moved, moved down to london um, when i was doing it and so that was an, a good experience um and they treat their staff really well which is good so it's kind of a it's almost like a family so they do a lot of do a lot of things together um, I know that they've they've grown massively since I started. When I started, there were five analysts, and now I think there's there's a hundred or more. Um, so it's kind of it shows that there's there's legs in what they're doing. Um, and yeah, it's, it, so now instead of a family, I'm guessing it's more like a community where everyone's on the same page. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an enjoyable thing. I, the, there's some monotony to it, um, but the, that happens with any job when you start kind of repeating similar processes. There's a monotony, um, but you, at the end of the day, you get to watch every Premier League match um, every week, and that's not too bad of a job. Were you allowed to bet at all during that process, or was it strictly a non-betting environment? Um, you no, know, you can bet. Um, there's nothing against that. Um, I know that some things are 
tried to keep secret. But we, we like, like I said, when I was there, it was never a case of here's the model, here's the prices that we think it should be. Like you go and bet what you want on that. It's but but by having by spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week looking at the Premier League, you do get to build a, a solid understanding of uh, where things are going, who's creating the best chances. So you kind of a lot of the time it's about the the true score rather than the the actual score. So yeah, okay, Man United might have beat Chelsea two one, but Chelsea had four absolutely guilt edge chances. So on any other day they'd have won. So kind of you can take that into the next game and say, well, Chelsea are creating really good chances. So you'd you'd have that implied probability that they're more likely to convert chances this time round or or whatever. So it worked quite well. So do you think they're doing much the same right now in the, in that room where you were? Do you think the process and the the inputs and outputs are, are largely similar or do you think it's evolved even in the last sort of handful of years a fair bit? It would definitely have evolved. Um, it always was. It's kind of like a, a fluid model that will kind of change as time changes. So it might be that I haven't got the, the data to hand, but maybe now there are, say, more clear-cut chances in the Premier League than there used to be. Maybe there are fewer, um, and that will then weight into their model. How do most people get involved? Or I know you explained a little bit how you got involved, but the average punter on the street that might be interested in this space, is it a simple thing, or is it a rigorous process where they handpick exactly the type of person, personality, and expertise that they need? I, I think um, due to the, um, the nature of, of the job, Every, almost anyone would would love to have that kind of job, so they can they have the pick of whatever they want. So initially, they focus purely on um, the experience within within the industry or within performance analysis. So having that kind of experience was weighted highly. Um, but I've since seen some of the the requirements, and a lot of it is um, degree based, math based, um, logic based. Um, but then also with 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 a passion for sport as well. So a lot of people would still qualify to to kind of to be going for those jobs, but a lot of it's based on experience as well. So, so did you ever get the chance to take a peek into the 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 betting side or the output of the model and how that is executed, or was it always very segmented? Um, it was segmented enough. Um, I'd seen a bit on some of the uh, the platforms that they used. To, to execute the bets, um, but I wasn't yeah, wasn't within the execution team, so I didn't kind of see it day to day. Rethink the way you see sport. Every action or play can be represented by a series of numbers. When you analyse this data, patterns begin to emerge. If you follow these patterns and develop systems, you can play the game within the game. Betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So what changed? What made you leave? Or what was the impetus to um, to move on from that experience and that lifestyle? Um, it was uh, family, to be honest. So uh, my now wife was based in the Midlands. So I kind of moved, moved back up because long, long distance is never fun. Um, yeah, and I got kind of a bit of a more regular job for a while um, and kept the sports betting stuff on the side. So I managed to, with my experience um, in London, I managed to get 
connected to a few um, sports betting syndicates um, based in Asia and in Europe and kind of worked remotely for, for those guys, which is uh, which also interesting and a lot of fun. Bit bit higher pressure, but it was good. And was that doing a lot of the same stuff? Um, that was more, um, so it was to an extent, but it was also kind of providing, I, be, I became almost a tipster for them. So I was an, an expert and I'd built a couple of models myself. Um, they're only pretty primitive. There's nothing groundbreaking with them, but they helped guide me in the line of pricing. And then I could kind of evaluate whether I thought that price was was true. So it was, it was quite intuitive. And then I'll just provide my strongest selections to them. And then they would bet however they they saw fit, basically. Okay. And then next came Tipster, right? Yeah. So I tried my hand as a Tipster for a while on social media. Um, obviously, there are hundreds, thousands um, scattered around. And I always found that I could not perform with all the other social media Tipsters. Like I was, I think, 5, five 6, 7% ROI over maybe 12, 18 months which is good, really good. Um, but you've got people who could bodge their results without kind of throwing accusations out. There are a lot of people who would just shout about winners. There was no kind of verification process, no one, no accountability whatsoever. Um, and I decided, right, there needs to be something done about that, something that kind of provides that accountability to an industry that's got, or a part of the betting industry that's got a terrible reputation um for scams for um people being ripped off for people cheating lying um so, and that's kind of how tipster was was formulated as a, as an idea so take us through what tipster offers because obviously you know trust is a massive component when it comes to paying a random person that you probably never met for tips and a lot of people will talk about if you're a recreational better and you're buying tips you're already behind the eight ball to a large extent so if you're buying them you want to make sure that it's something worth buying yeah so uh our platform basically will uh we've got an external data feed that comes in um with the current odds so when a tipster wants to add a tip to share with their members they can they, they don't get to choose the odds the odds are there ready for them so they can't manipulate the odds um, they choose their stake. It's all then time-stamped, which means, obviously, that they can't retrospectively say, oh, yeah, our new Man United would win 1-0. And, look, they did win 1-0, but you've done it after the event. Um, so it kind of has has that verification aspect of it. They can't remove a tip after. So the one thing that I saw happen a lot on social media in the early days was people post five tips, but then the next day they say, oh, they've won three and lost one. Because and one tips magically vanished from the uh, from the record, so that's it's just something that we wanted to eradicate. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, what have you learnt from all the different tipsters that are that are posting their different plays? Is there a a handful of trends that that pop up? What's the percentages of those that actually are winning or able to win over a number of seasons? Are there any things you can share with us? Um, so we trying to think of some of the things that we've got in terms of a bigger data. So we, we, we processed, I think, near enough 1.3 million tips so far. Um, so kind of we're getting a lot of, a lot of information. Um, the users that tend to be most popular, so we, we do horse, ra- horse racing and football are our two main sports at the minute. Um, so the most popular services 
for horse racing, for instance, add their tips on the day of the racing um, in the morning. So kind of the, the, it, that they're most popular because people can get the prices most easily um, because it's they've settled. Um, they can some a lot of our punters our members have got restrictions on accounts, limited accounts, so they'll 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 resort to Betfair um, or to the other exchanges. And for tipsers that are tips in the morning, they know that they can get a lot closer to to the price even on the exchange, um, which which is obviously important. Um, and from a football perspective. The trends seem to be the uh, the popular leagues are the most well followed um, for members. People want Premier League tips, they want Bundesliga tips, they want the tips from the main leagues. But obviously, with the with the markets having more liquidity there, there's a benefit. But there's also the fact that the prices are going to be a lot more accurate and harder to uh, harder to profit from. So anyone that does profit from those kind of leagues are, are popular services. Have you seen any tipsters or a number of tipsters consistently win or consistently, you know, beat the closing price or anything like that? Or is it really a difficult game to be uh, posting tips online if you're ultimately winning? We've seen, yeah, we've we've got quite a few that are consistently profitable over over a long period. Um, there are a lot that have big swings, ups and downs, um, which is which is obviously inevitable. Um, can't can't win all of them. But there's no there's there's no real formula that we know has worked for everybody. Um, but there are plenty of tipsters that can beat the closing line regularly um, in in football. We're actually looking at implementing a metric that will monitor that. So we do get we do get the closing price. So we're look, looking to uh, add a a marker on each tipster that says the percentage of time they beat the closing price. So we think. That, Based on uh, customer feedback, they'd they'd love that as a as something to look look at. So if they know that there's a small ROI, but they're beating the closing line seventy percent of the time, then that's a tipster well worth following. So can you find the bad tipsters pretty easily, or does it still even take time because they might win for a period of time or hover around break even? Yeah, um, you tend to see um, some trends. Um, so a lot of people like the correct score market. And I don't personally, but you can see sometimes they'll get three or four correct scores in a week, fly up our kind of leaderboards because it's hard not um, it's hard to eradicate that because people people do like it, people do enjoy the the thrill of kind of backing an outsider, backing a correct score. Um, but we tend not to give too much focus on any tipster that's not had at least three months on our site, um, whether they've been anywhere before. It's kind of not not relevant so we're looking at tips that have at least three months record on our site before we start analyzing whether they're whether they're good or bad and then we've got a, a slack group where we will have our tipsters and speak to them one-on-one um to try and get an get an understanding of how they how they work how they behave um what kind of edge they have to understand their experiences um maybe how they how they get to their selections whether they create a price themselves or whether they they're going on intuition or trends or form or, or whatever. Um, but we found that a really useful way of kind of seeing who's legit, who's got an edge and who really understands what they're doing and then who's just thrown out. So that is interesting. The person that 
has been a social media tipster, let's say, wants to come over to tipster, what incentivizes them to do that? Or even just someone who's not a tipster and it might be, you know, winning five, six, eight percent ROI like yourself or others. What what incentivizes either of those groups to come over and and put their plays on your platform? We think that the pages that they get are kind of really quite quite good. They they have stats, they have um, itemized results, um, stats based on league, based on bet type. So it's something that would take a lot of time to build yourself, um, say, in, I don't know, in a Google Drive document or build your own website or whatever it was. It's a lot of upkeep, a lot of effort to do, whereas ours is automatic. So that's the, the biggest benefit is you can just track your results. You can you get a nice graph that shows whether you're profitable, whether you're not. It can even help educate your own personal betting. So if you're adding your personal bets there and you see that your over-under bets have got, I don't know, negative 12% ROI, but everything else is plus seven, you can say, I'm doing something wrong in that bet, in that betting market. So you can help it can help you learn and become a more profitable sports better as, as well. And are those tools transferable and available for just the general punters as well, not just the tipsters? Uh, yeah, and look, it would, in essence, they're the same thing, but you can you can use them for any general punter can come onto our site and track their bets. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we're not kind of restrictive. You don't have to be a tipster. You don't have to sell tips. You don't have to do anything um, like that if you don't want to. Um, but if you if you're if you've got if you're just a, a regular better and you've got an eight percent ROI, if you want to then there's definitely a market there for people who would love to be able to follow an 8% ROI football sports tipster. So what's next for for Tipster and you guys? What are you building and developing? Where do you want to see it head? What are some of the important things on your your roadmap? Um, There's there's a couple of things that we're we're looking at. One of them I've mentioned already, which is the the beating the start price. So a, a metric that allows you to know how often you are beating the start price. Um, potentially by league, um, by market, um, to give again to just to improve that that insight that you're getting. So you can learn a lot from how you bet yourself. Um, so having that will be good. And then also from a horse racing perspective, we want to implement the ability to see who's profitable to um, bet first start price, um, because anyone that can do that is instantly really valuable to follow because you can just go on to Betfair, get the start price, and just, there you go. You are uh, you know that you can be profitable to that. You don't have to worry about whether your Labrooks account is going to be limited, whether your Bet365 account no longer got best odds guaranteed. You're looking at the the very baseline profit, and if you can make a profit there, then you, you're going to be able to follow it. So let's talk a bit more generally about the tipping industry, and I guess how do we... Add more accountability. We have a lot of you know social media tipsters and for some reason they have a big following or for some reason a lot of people will buy packages from them and will want to have access to their tips and a lot of the time it's pretty easy to see. Even just a, a, a general punter can probably tell they might be a potential scam artist down the road. What things have you seen change or what can we do to help with that accountability? One thing that I think always always helps maybe not initially but it is the fact that the sports betting community on social media they kind of they they team up they work together so if someone says oh this pack this this package sounds interesting i want more info as a, as a reply to a tweet um if it's a if it's a dodgy service you'll quite often get someone say absolutely don't join this send me a message if you want an explanation or or i'll just explain it there 
And I think that that's really good is that kind of the sports bettors are looking out for each other. Do you think the general tipping industry has got better or worse as it's evolved over the last handful of years you've been deeply involved? Or do you think that it's it's still got a long way to go and as more social media becomes relevant and a lot of people are active on many different platforms now, it's it's going to be harder to track and, and verify a lot of this stuff? It's very, uh, it's still got a long way to go. You kind of, in a nutshell, like what you said then, yeah. It's got a long way to go. It, I, th- I feel like it's improved. I feel like people are becoming increasingly aware of the need for that that accountability for that transparency um i see it on social media a lot where people shout about their amazing results and you have three four five replies of oh have you got wet like is it verified have you got um a tracked history and any that don't kind of are starting to struggle or it seems that they're starting to struggle um because they can't they can't get people to join the service because they've got no no accountability themselves. Just oh, we've we've got a twenty percent ROI, and they expect people to just believe that and join based on that. And I think that people are growing wise to it, basically. So, what do you tell your you know best friend or your brother or sister who says I want to pay a hundred dollars for this tipster package over the World Cup? What are some of the things you would urge them to consider before they before they pay the money? The the, the first and foremost thing is 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 it is it going to be worth it? So I'll I'll talk about their personal betting. So right, if they're going to make a ten percent ROI, if you're betting three pound a bet, then it's not worth it. So weigh up the cost of the membership to your realistic expectations of profit. So if you if you think that that might make you five hundred dollars, then okay, that could be a, a worthwhile investment. If it's going to make you one hundred and twenty, potentially, then then no, you, you're not going to be interested. And then it'll be looking into that service specifically. Um, why? Why will their World Cup package be better than any other package? Um, why will it be better than random, like just betting yourself? Um, if they've got a legitimate understanding of what that tipster has to offer, that their insight's good, that their their content and their analysis is good. Sometimes just sometimes it's worth paying for the content alone. If they're providing a five hundred word preview for every World Cup match, then that could be worth the hundred uh, the hundred dollars purely because it might just point you in the right direction for a few bets that help help you justify that membership. So how does one get involved or what's the best way for them to play around you know, on Tipster and, and utilize some of the tools and features that you have? S- simply to register. Um, on the registration process, it'll um, give you options on what you want to do. So do you want to start adding your own tips, track your own bets, follow some Tipsters? You just choose that and then we'll try and guide you to the right area. And yeah, you can have a play around on like it's full access so you can you can access absolutely everything yourself just by registering um you can then if you, if you want to sell picks then there's an area if you just to to change your your bet tracker into um a premium service if you've been doing it for a few months you'll already have that history there so you get to kind of try it out before you before you decide what what you're going to do with it Awesome. Before I let you go, Damien, what's the best way if someone wants to contact you or ask a question or, or even just follow you on Twitter, what's the best contact method for you? Um, well, Damien at tipster.com is to, to get to me directly. Um, we've got a support team, so support at Tipster. Um, if you've got any questions that you think that anyone would be interested in answering, anyone in our team could answer. Um, or follow us on Twitter, um, which is at tipster. Um, it's T-O-P-S-T-R-R. And yeah, that's the easiest way to uh, 
drop us a message. Um, that's monitored most of the time, um, UK hours. And yeah, um, we'll be happy to answer any questions if anyone's got any. Awesome. Damien, I very much appreciate your time. It's a very interesting space that doesn't get a lot of coverage and a lot of the time it's negative. So it's very fun to chat with you about some of the things in this industry. So I, I wish you certainly all the best and, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Cheers, it's been a pleasure.